0: Hey, Milly, you you, uh, you feeling warm today? Um, you, you got
1: you got good heating in your house?
0: It's, it's it's all right. It could be a little cooler. I mean, I'm at my podcast studio, the rest of the house is warm, but the podcast studio is a little chilly. So, oh, okay. So you uh, know, that's why I got my that's why
1: I got my thermal on today. Oh, well, you know, it's funny you should be mentioning you know heating and that kind of thing because our episode is actually brought to uh, our listeners by Park Power, and they're Park the, Power. That's right. They're a friendly yokel friendly yokel. <laughs> they're <laughs> a friendly local utility provider in Alberta. And, oh well, and, yeah, and I mean, if if you are warm, but you're like, you know, my life could still be better. They also do internet and uh na- electricity as well. Oh,
0: cool! So yeah, internet, electricity, yeah. heating and yep. air. That's right. Yes, gas. It, can I get gas from them or no? Absolutely. Like, you mean like like for your car? No, like for like natural gas. To, yes, to natural run, gas. Around like, my furnace. To, absolutely. To heat my water. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. They got
1: low rates apparently and awesome service. Oh, oh and you know actually rates and awesome service. Okay. And I mean and I know that I know that you care about other people, so it'll probably, you know, work for you that they also profit
0: share with local charities. Well, that is really fantastic. They they are giving back. Okay. That's right. That's pretty cool. Right. It and it's good. Yeah. And on top of this, and again, are they are they located in a park or is or is the founder named Mr. Park or we don't know or care? <laughs> the founder is named Chris
1: Krasowski Chris Kazowski. Oh. I've never no. met him, but apparently you can spot him because he always wears a bow tie. Oh, good for him! Yeah, yeah, he's he's a, a classy fella, and he actually is located in Sherwood Park, which is not far oh, from where I live. Th- that makes sense. So that's yeah. where
0: the, that's where the park comes from. In, our li- our listeners have been are, are curious, with like about yes. you know, entomology, or etymology, or yeah, absolutely, ecology, and all that kind of
1: stuff. Exactly, and I mean, I know that like you and me, because we're doing the 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 podcasting thing, we're just rolling in money. But uh, yes, the fact is, there's actually people out there who want to save money, right? I
0: mean, yes. Yeah, I mean, well, they want to pay nice. I my my the 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 company that I use um, here for for my power. I I just send in like an extra ten dollars every time and say, hey, you know, just buy 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 donuts for the for the for the <laughs> um gals in the office.
1: You never buy me donuts, cheek. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, okay. Well, look. Here's the deal. Like in Alberta, I don't know what it's like in North Carolina, but in Alberta. You can actually choose who you get your internet and your electricity and your natural gas from. It's not like just some big like, you know, state conglomerate that's like this is how oh, we have we have we have we have we have we you have, choice. have choice You have choice. Cool. Uh, well park power is one of those
0: choices. And they offer- That's oh. cool. Yeah. I think yes. so. That's fantastic. Well, tell them come on down to North Carolina. We can use we could use some choices down here. Have Mr. Sus- K- Mr. Kazowski. Bowtie. Yeah. Yes. Has Mr. Bowtie. Give, give me give me a call. <laughs> All
1: right. Well, hey, Millie, if you decide to switch and I mean, uh-huh. part of this is you'll probably have to come to Alberta, but you know, it, it's inevitable. You're, you're already part of the Alberta Podcast Network. You're going to be coming
0: uh, yes. to Alberta. And I, and I love Park Power, so I'm, I'm halfway there. Absolutely. Well, if you want
1: to switch, all you have to do is you just go to parkpower.ca. Okay. Oh, that's .ca. Cool. That's all right. Because that. it's Canadian, right? It is. That.
0: that that's .ca. Yeah. There you go. Parkpower.ca. C-K. That's .ca. That's simple and easy.
1: Okay. Cool. Thanks. Welcome, unprofessionals, to a zoological, a zoological, you know, and uh, an animated, <laughs> an animal filled episode of unprofessional development. I am your co host, Shane Lawrence, and Mealy is not here. He's off fighting a bear or something. I don't know what he's doing, but he's not here because we are diving back into the Ed archives. Ed, if you haven't been listening for a while, is my former podcast. And so we had to dive back into those to find a favorite episode of mine. And um, I mean, I don't like to play favorites. I don't want to say which one of all those 200 episodes, you know, is my favorite child. But honestly, I think this might be it. This is a conversation I had with Nick Furman. He does a course down in the States. He does a course about teaching with animals as props. And it's fantastic. You'll never hear a warmer, more caring kind of person, I think, than Nick Furman. He is fantastic. This is well worth your time to listen in. I'm so happy I get to share this with all of you. Here it is. Here's my conversation with Nick Furman.
2: Yeah. How's your day been, then? Man, it's been great, Shane. I, I tell you what, I, I want to start by telling you how much I appreciate you reaching out to me about that talk. You know, It is amazing to me the reach of those TED Talks. You know, I -hmm. I have watched them myself before and used them in class periodically, you know, as a professor. But it wasn't until almost three years ago that I did that that I realized that, man, people watch those things and I hear from folks. And it's, it's really humbling to know that that made a difference and that you had the the effort and the passion to reach out to me and say, I'm going to try to get a hold of this guy. I, that really means a lot. So I, I really appreciate it. Same thing. Oh, thanks.
1: absolutely. Well, not a problem. I mean, it was, it was a fun, a fun Ted talk. I'm like, man, I, w- I want to talk to this guy. Cause it's like, you're, you're this animal oh, guy. You know, it's kind of, that's, yeah. that's really cool. Um, yeah. Right on, right on. Yeah. No, I, I, I loved, to uh, I mean, I remember when I was a kid, you know, there was someone who came to my school. I I didn't quite have this kind of same, I didn't have the same sort of like, you know, come to Jesus kind of moment like you did, but uh, (laughs) I still remember it though. I mean, just the, you know, the animals and just, it's so fascinating. There's something very almost like primal about it, you know, I don't know. Oh yeah.
2: And it is. And the thing I think about somebody like Ranger Bill, the guy that really inspired me to take up this career that I'm in now is that folks like that, that are working for a zoo or an aquarium that go into a school for less than an hour, mm-hmm. you know, like I talked about in that TED talk, they're there really with the idea that folks aren't there to see them to learn. They're there to have a good time. So <laughs> if you're really going to teach something, you got to sneak the learning in. It's it's about edutainment. I always love that phrase. It's mm-hmm. It's about the fun part of using the animals, grabbing the attention of this audience, whether it's kids or adults, and then sneaking in the educational stuff, you know, the what can you do at home to help kind of stuff, which is uh, an art. Yeah,
1: it is. It is. I mean, is that kind of your overall approach Then you're always just trying to like sneak in the learning with your kids or your
2: students? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and I teach, so I teach freshman college students up through graduate students. But when I was working for the Department of Natural Resources in Maryland, where I met Ranger Bill and and all that kind of stuff, Hmm. it was primarily youth. You know, it might have been elementary to middle school age students. And I think what I realized really quick is that these students have been with their teacher all day and the students have to be in that class and they're learning maybe some stuff that they're not so excited about. And I get a chance to change their mind, especially about some animals that have stereotypes. I mean, you think about snakes and you think to yourself, well, what can I do to change someone's mind about this animal? And maybe giving the animal a name, maybe telling a, a kind of a cute touching story about that animal and how I got the animal mm-hmm. might pull at their emotions and get them but I find that that kind of stuff really helps and it's uh it, to me I always realize that I'm only there for about an hour and then I leave when I do these Ranger Nick talks and so I've only got an hour to really move that audience from awareness to action is what I always kind of say you know it's yeah. like I I want them leaving going, okay, I know what I'm going to do when I get home. I'm not going to litter or I'm going to tell somebody to not kill a snake. I know what I have to do, you know, and it's tough in an hour and to form that relationship and to show, you know, like I talked about in that talk that you care, gosh, mm. that's important. You know, little things that you can do in a genuine way to show that you care about that audience are so important.
1: So are, are you still going into schools like with the the youngins as well
2: then? <laughs> I, I sure do. I do that stuff quite a bit. We've got some animals here at our home that my wife thankfully lets me have that are all super, super nice. Turtles, snakes, stuff like that, that I use in class at the University of Georgia, uh-huh. as well as going into schools, elementary schools, middle school, high schools, and uh, and talk to students with them as well. So I'm still doing that. If, if I wasn't, I would really miss it because that is just, I mean, that's where I got started is mm-hmm. thinking about teaching kids using animals and it, I just love it. Yeah.
1: And, and what? So you've kind of touched on it a little bit, but is is the main thrust of when you go into these schools, is it about teaching kids about like
2: environmental stewardship? Yeah, it, it really is. And so one of the things we try to do is is talk about locally relevant environmental problems. So when I worked in Maryland, the Chesapeake Bay watershed was a big thing there. You know, Chesapeake Bay, this big estuary that comes up through the state of Maryland, and
3: mm-hmm. there's
2: a lot of rivers that feed into that bay. Well. There's all kinds of pollution issues and habitat issues, and there are threatened and endangered species that live along that bay. And so we were always trying to talk about things that locally that kids could do Mm -hmm. to go and help the animals that we had that I was teaching with. And all of the animals that I had, and I mean snakes, turtles, owls, hawks, falcons, eagles, all these things had a story behind why they were with me. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what was so powerful is – Being able to see, for example, uh, a red-tailed hawk, which is a bird that's all over North America, I mean, really, really common. But being able to see one three or four feet away from someone and being able to see one that was missing a wing. I had a red-tailed hawk I used for years that had been hit by a car, Mm -hmm. very common injury with birds of prey, and its wing had to be amputated. Well, when I would take this bird out and people would see the way this bird looked, and even the way he would take, so his right wing was amputated mm-hmm. and he only had his left wing. Well, I would always hold the bird in my right hand. So you kind of have to visualize this. So yeah. here's this poor hawk trying to balance himself on my hand. And I'm a guy that does not stand still for very long when I'm talking. So here's <laughs> this poor bird trying to hold to my hand. I've got a glove on, you know? Yeah. And so the way that this hawk would balance itself is it would put its left wing out And kind of around my shoulder, kind of like he had his arm around me, you know? (laughs) And it was the neatest. People would just melt. I mean, they're just, oh my gosh, look at this hawk. It's like he's got his arm around you. And they could see this bond that Mm -hmm. I would have with those animals. And that was absolutely true. I mean, those animals have a personality, Mm -hmm. Uh, they know me, they knew my voice. And it really went to show an audience that this animal is an ambassador of an environmental message. And that's really what we were trying to do. And plus animals just have this ability to grab attention, yeah. you know, and it was just such an interesting thing. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well what, what is that?
1: What, what is that sort of attention grabbing property or characters that animals have? Because I mean, you're right. And, and I, how would you explain that to somebody? Why does that
3: work? <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. So, and I teach a class called Teaching with Animals, which has been a dream of mine to do. And this is the kind of stuff that I study, Shane, exactly what you just asked me. So, yeah. the, the thing that I will tell you is it's so important in terms of grabbing somebody's attention to keep that animal a surprise before that animal makes an appearance in front of an audience. So, a lot of times I'll see a, a, a zoo educator or a person at an aquarium or nature center come into a school or an auditorium. And they bring in these containers, you know, these enclosures that they have the animals in. And you can see exactly what's in that enclosure. Well, you know, the the cat's out of the bag, so to say. Everybody knows what you got now. And there's no surprise. There's no buildup. There's no, you know, that edutainment value. So Mm -hmm. I think keeping that animal a surprise before it comes out is really, really important. And then I think once it comes out, keeping the attention of the audience by moving yourself and keeping that animal moving So that there is that draw. People are drawn to something that's moving and new. Uh And I think that's important. And I will say this, after a certain amount of time, and and in fact, we kind of have it narrowed down to about seven minutes, believe it or not. So after about seven minutes of having that animal out and talking about it, the audience is beginning to get bored. So if I really want them to learn something, I'm going to put that animal back and really get down to business in terms of talking about facts or things that they can do. 'Cause at, after seven minutes, they're just staring at the animal. They're not listening to me. <laughs> they're, you know, I mean, they're wondering, oh, is it gonna poop on me or him or what? I mean, they're they're just their mind is wandering now. Yeah. And so after about seven minutes, I get it out of there.
1: <laughs> huh. And oh gosh, I lost it. I had don't think I, I want to ask you to totally just let on my mind. No, it's oh, it's okay. It happens way too often. I'll I'd... tell
2: you this. I'll tell you what, Shane. I'll tell you this related to that attention thing. Here's yeah. here's a cool thing. So we have studied in in a series of studies, we have studied the power of not only using animals that have visible injuries. So like Mm. that red-tailed hawk that was missing a wing, but we've studied animals that have a name, that have been given a name in terms of what people learn from that animal. And, And as you might imagine, naming an animal really helps make it almost a character in the story that I'm teaching the audience about. And so we found that naming animals is really powerful. And it's really a a good thing, despite sometimes I I work with zoos and stuff that, and and when I worked in Maryland, we were this way too. Mm -hmm. Well, we don't name anything because it makes it seem like it's a pet. And I understand that. Yeah. But it it definitely helps from a learning standpoint to name that animal in terms of grabbing attention Mm -hmm. and getting people to learn stuff. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So, okay. So it it is... From research standpoint, it helps people understand, or not understand, but connect better to what you're presenting. Exactly. But I mean, exactly. What about when you do have people who are coming at you and saying, "Well, you're humanizing these animals; you're just using them like an object, and they're they're living beings." Like, how do you how do you approach that side of it?
2: Yeah. Well, you know what? I will say this, Shane, knock on wood. I have, in the years I've been doing this stuff, and I've been teaching with animals for probably, and I mean, raptors, reptiles, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I've been doing this stuff for probably 25 years, let's say. And I can only count on one hand, maybe three times, has anybody ever said, why do you have this animal? What's the purpose of of having that Mm -hmm. in education? Why did you remove this from the wild, for example? And I always keep with me the permits that I have to have the animals that I do. And these are educational permits, so they're not used for entertainment, you know, like a circus might. These are only used for teaching. Mm -hmm. And I think in the three times I guess I've been asked that question, I will give someone a copy of my permit and just say, well, you know, actually I have a permit to have these and they're ambassadors of a message. And I think what's happened is that somebody sees the personality I have and and how genuine I am about using that animal Mm -hmm. as an ambassador. And I think that they dismiss it from there, they go, "Oh, okay, I just wanted to make sure you weren't mistreating this animal or you know, that kind of things, you know right. so,
1: yeah, so okay, so what's the difference between like you know, say I've got you know a bird that whacks my window in the front of my house, you know, and I go out and and <laughs> scoop it up and say, "Hey, you're an educational animal now i mean <laughs> what what do I need right. to do to actually make that you know legal?" <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I, I tell you, so any, any bird like that, they're all protected, at least in the United States, they're protected mm-hmm. by a, a migratory bird act. So the yeah. Fish and Wildlife Service in the U.S. protects those things. And so anytime an animal is injured and can't be released, right? usually that animal is euthanized if there's, there's no way to make it better. Right. Except if it's a bigger, like a bird of prey or something that's a little bit stronger and can handle an operation and anesthesia and all that, mm-hmm. then there's a chance that they would say, well, like with that red-tailed hawk, you know, this thing is still okay other than the wing missing. If we can find an individual that would take it, a professional, and yeah. use it in education, they'll do that. And that's, right. gosh, when, when I worked in Maryland, we had about 100 birds and I would say 75% of them had been hit by cars. That was the biggest wow. issue, you know, as the reason we get them. And then to be able to use them in education is, is just such a, to me, it's such a wonderful thing versus them um, being put down, you know? Yeah. So it's, uh, it, it's, yeah, it was such a, such a powerful thing. And I'll say this too about the animals. A lot of people will, will ask me, they'll say, well, the first thing they'll say is, have you ever thought about being a preacher? I've heard that a bunch, you know. I, I can see that yeah. about being, you know. And and actually I, I have my great-grandmother, and I think I mentioned this in the TED Talk. She used to call me your little preacher boy yeah. back when I was like five years old. Cause I love, I just I've always loved being in front of people and I just love to talk, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, people will ask me, they'll say, Do you ever get nervous before you talk in front of a group or anything? And I say, Well, yeah. I said, But here's the thing. When I have something with me, when I have an animal with me or something in my hand, Mm -hmm. I feel like the attention is not on me as much as it is the animal. And that really helps to calm my nerves down if I am nervous. And I tell you, Shane, I've found this with my students too. You know, the students that are really, really scared to stand up in front of their class and give a presentation. Mm -hmm. Um, If I give them a turtle, you know, let's say a box turtle or like a gopher tortoise, like you saw in their TED talk. Yeah. I give them something like that to hold mm-hmm. and I teach them how to hold it and how to use it as an ambassador. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how much less nervous they are. I mean, yeah. they're, they're just, they're a much better speaker.
1: Yeah. No, you know, it's funny. I, I teach drama, junior high drama. Oh, okay. Um, and, and a smattering of other things, but uh, it, it's only <laughs> started doing it this year and it was actually before your TED talk, but- you know, I'll if I have nervous students, I kind of do something similar. You know, if if someone has to perform something solo, they can have if they're really nervous. I'll say, okay, you can take someone up with you, and they can just kind of stand off on the side. You know, oh, and I, yeah, and I, I literally say, you can take your support animal on stage, and <laughs> yeah, and it has the very similar effect though that the nervous they get way less nervous just having a friend within like three feet. You know,
2: Isn't so, that something? and that's yeah. and I think you doing that that's such a wonderful thing, and then once that student gets through that experience and they mm. realize, all right, I didn't die. I'm still okay. <laughs> I can do this again. And maybe after a few more times, then their friend doesn't need to be there and yeah. they can just do this themselves. You know, it, that's an incredible thing. And, and I'm so glad that you're doing that kind of stuff because we call them career ready skills, life skills, soft mm. skills. Sometimes people call those things. Yeah. I, I think those kinds of skills just aren't being emphasized enough in, in all, you know, K through 12, even into college, we're just not spending enough time on those kinds of communication, problem solving, teamwork, critical thinking, those things. It's so important.
1: So then is, is part of your approach with animals, is it also to help uh, prospective educators like learn to sort of overcome stage fright or nervousness? Yeah, it, oh, okay. it
2: definitely is. So that teaching with animals class, I would say, I'd say probably 75% of the folks in there want to be environmental educators. So they want to work in a zoo or aquarium or nature center or be an environmental science teacher, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But then the other, 25, 30% are taking it as a public speaking class Ah. because they've heard that it's, it's like public and it is, it's like public speaking, but without the podium, without the note cards, I just believe in a student developing almost like a lesson plan of what they would do in their presentation, but not memorizing it. I always tell the students, don't script this thing out because I want you to have some bigger, broader issues you want to hit in your mind, but keep it conversational. I find that if the students are memorizing line for line, Mm -hmm. and then if they forget two or three words of that one line, well, the train has fallen off the tracks. I mean, it's just, (laughs) it's awful. I find if you're conversational, and and you're relaxed up there and just talking to the audience is a, I always say there's a difference between teaching and presenting ah. and i really like to encourage students to teach instead of present you know i i just i find that so important yeah i'll tell you this crazy story and this is how i am shan i just that's how i am in class i've got all these <laughs> stories and students are so i know that when i'm teaching with animals and i'm working with somebody that i know is scared to death of public speaking and i've had students before Mm-hmm. that I mean are, are physically sick before they have to get up in front of a class, let's say of even you know, 15 or 20, and give up a, a, a teaching demonstration. They're just scared of that. Mm-hmm. But I've found that when that student is up there and something unexpected happens, let's say with that animal, and I'll just tell you this story. This has happened so many times. A student will be holding a turtle, like a box turtle, and, and turtles do this all the time. But the eternal peas. These turtle just peas right there. It is amazing how from that moment forward, this unexpected thing that happens to this student that's scared to death up there, yeah. they laugh about it a little bit. The audience laughs a little bit. Okay. From that moment forward, they are such a better teacher. They're such a better speaker. <laughs> and I'm not saying that, like, well, send them up there with some animal and hope it goes to really, the bed. Really give that but turtle I, a lot
1: of water before it goes on.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. But I had seen it so many times. And I and, and my students will all be videotaped when mm. they're teaching, you know. And you talk about an awkward but very beneficial thing is to watch yourself on video, you know. Yeah. And the students will watch it and they'll go yeah, you know, one of my turtles name is Scooter. They'll say, well, when Scooter peed, I, from that moment forward, I was so much better. Like I just, I became relaxed. I just had fun with this. I rolled with it. I said, yeah, something unexpected happened. You dealt with it just fine. You're a human being. Mm -hmm. You're going to make mistakes. And it just, it almost builds rapport with the audience when that happens. And so I just want students to see that, when you're doing stuff at work in life, things are going to happen and you just have to, to persevere and roll with it and be a, be a normal human being about it and you'll be fine.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah? I completely agree. I wish I'd had that lesson earlier on in my career as a teacher because it was always something goes wrong. You're like, oh, I would, don't look at that, kids. Well, you try and cover it up while well, you're also trying to do this oh, other yeah. thing. And then you're just spinning plates and they're all falling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's brilliant. I mean, I wonder, have you looked at, um, I mean, obviously animals is your thing. And it seems like it's kind of almost like a, a talisman for students and for audiences. Um, is, is there anything else that's effective? Like, I mean, I can't get my hands, say, on a turtle tomorrow to, you know, wow, my drama kids. Uh, so, I mean, is there, are there other ways to kind of approach this same kind of idea, but not with living creatures?
2: Oh, absolutely. I- I'll say this. I'll, two things. One, I think it doesn't have to be a lot. Mm -hmm. So I have given a student, um, let's say they're doing a demonstration, they're teaching about the difference between deciduous trees, oak trees, maple trees, and coniferous trees, you know, pine trees, fir trees, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And let's just say they've got some examples of some deciduous tree leaves in their hand and acorns and stuff, Mm -hmm. and they've got some coniferous needles and pine cones and stuff in their hand. And they're looking at these, showing these to the audience, having that object in their hands. Mm -hmm. is taking that attention off of them. Now, it's not a moving thing, of course, but it's taking the attention off of them and giving them something, the audience, something to focus on. So anything that takes the attention literally off of their face Mm -hmm. and this scared look and and the the silence that could be in the room when they forget what they're about to say, which they're scared to death of, is that silence. I I think anything like that can benefit. The other thing I'll say is that for my students that are especially nervous – Sometimes I'll tell them, and I did this in that TED Talk. Of course, it's all planned. But yeah. when when that, when that gopher tortoise, I found that gopher tortoise, you know, <laughs> quote unquote, found this thing on stage. <laughs> I'll tell my students, when you're up there talking, when you're teaching us, put something somewhere in the room that you just happen to notice and go over there and get it and bring it up to the front, whatever it is, whatever object it is it gets you physically from the front of the room into the class, into the audience, getting this thing. You walk a little bit that makes you a little bit less nervous. You're not directly in front and you bring it up there and it's something different. It's a surprise. It's something that, almost like it it's it's different from the mold of the traditional stand behind a podium and give a ten minute speech. Mm-hmm. I think that personality, especially in my discipline of environmental education, science, education, that kind of thing, that is so welcomed. But I also think that doing something like that in a number of different disciplines, you know it could even be more of a formalized, even in a business setting. I can see adding that kind of personality to a presentation, to a demonstration, really making it more memorable. And really, I always say giving some personality to what you're saying. Um, I I just find that people will remember that stuff a lot more than they will uh, a presentation without personality, without enthusiasm. uh, I just think, And, and enthusiasm for for each person is different than it is for me. Yeah, You know, for me, I run all over the place. I can't help it. I just, I get excited about teaching. But as long as someone has their level of passion, their level of enthusiasm, that audience will see that. And it's contagious. And Mm -hmm. it's just a a wonderful thing. I think in all things in life, you know, not, not to get on my soapbox, but I think that is a real (laughs) secret. You know, like if somebody said, Nick, what is uh, the secret to life? I'd say, look, it's enthusiasm. It is passion. It, no matter what you're doing, if you're excited about it, people are gonna to want to be around you and you're gonna be remembered and you're gonna be successful. I really believe that.
1: Well, you definitely seem very enthusiastic about, you know, what you do. <laughs> I mean almost oh yeah. You know, in love with what you do. I mean, it seems like it's oh, real. Yeah. yeah. I mean Oh, I
2: love it. Well you I absolutely do.
1: Yeah. Well, you do a lot of different things, though, too, because, I mean, you're mentoring, you know, PhD students. You're also going into schools. You are, you know, teaching, you're doing research. I mean, what's, mm-hmm. what's the, I mean, I, I, I'm scared you're just going to tell me that you love all of it, and I'm going to be really jealous. Cause, <laughs> but, I mean, what, what's the one thing? There's If you had to whittle your job down to, like, one thing, what would that one thing be that sort of drives you the most?
2: Uh, students. Number one is oh. student interaction. It, it does not matter if it's Um, A Ph.D. student wrapping up, a freshman just starting at the University of Georgia, a fourth grader that we go to visit with in a school with the animals, um, working with the individuals with special needs that I work a lot with here in Georgia. I I think it's it's just people. It's working with people, especially students, because there's a certain hunger in them for knowledge, and, and I can see their growth. I can see them get excited about something. I can even particularly lately uh, notice when things aren't right, you know, with all the COVID stuff going on and mm. there's some real issues with student loneliness and depression and, and I can notice when something's not quite right with a particular student and I can very simply after class say to them, hey, you doing okay, everything doing all right and then all of a sudden sometimes they'll open up to me and tell me things that are going on. And I just think to myself, you know, this job that I have, if if they took everything else away, they took the research away, the grants away, all that stuff, I would not miss that stuff. I mean, I enjoy it, but I wouldn't miss it. If you took students away from my job, I would quit. I would not do this. I I just, students are the absolute, I can't imagine my life without it because it's, uh, it's, it's really amazing. And that's why in that TED Talk, I think about myself as a teacher. But I think everybody is a teacher, you know, in a way. Everybody's working with folks and mm-hmm. can make a difference by just caring, building a connection. Uh, but students are the best part. Oh, man, it, it's just uh, <laughs> when I get in a classroom and, and teach, even if it's online, completely online, I, I just, you know, I love that. Even I do this television thing down here. It's on RFD TV nationally in the U.S., and we go every month, there's a segment called Ranger Nick. <laughs> okay. And and I go out, and it's just me, and I go out and talk about ag and natural resource-related stuff. It's part of a show called the Georgia Farm Monitor. Okay. It's produced by the Farm Bureau here in Georgia, and it airs nationally. And I go out every month into the woods and, or in, on, onto a farm or something and show some different thing that somebody may not have thought of before. Right. And even that, I just, I feel like I'm connecting. Mm-hmm. I Any kind of teaching on a camera, in front of an audience, I just I love that 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 is uh, I I will be that ninety year old professor still showing up to work and and teaching because I cannot imagine not doing it. Wow, wow, yeah, it's cool. Are
1: are there any like teachers in your past that have kind of inspired you on this path?
2: I you know I tell you I, aside from Ranger Bill I had an oh, environmental yeah. science sure yeah yeah I, I had an environmental science teacher in high school that was really really good just I, and I use that word genuine a lot. You know, not everybody is going to knock it out of the park every day when they go into class to, to teach their lesson. And I'm the same way. I mean, it's just everybody's human. And this guy was so genuine. He was so caring. He was so, uh, you could just tell this guy loved what he was doing. And he was really in it for us you know, as a high school student. And I just remember interacting with him after class, doing things in environmental science with him. Mr. Dunkerton was his name. He passed away a couple of years ago, but I remember just that that relationship we had. And then I remember uh, some professors I had in college that just, I mean, made a difference. Just you can look at them and tell, gosh, this person loves what they're doing. And Mm. they, they just, and that is so contagious. And I think that stands out more today because in universities like the University of Georgia, these big universities, it is very much pushed that research is important. And of course it is. And I do a lot of that and it's okay. But I think sometimes great teachers stand out even more today because you have other teachers that are so into their research and that's okay Mm -hmm. that they view coming into class as kind of like a, this is just a responsibility. I have to be here. And it's just, they're not into it. So the people that are really loving it, we stand out even more, you know, and it's just, and and I've had a couple of those over the years that, uh, but I'll say this, I think I have learned more about great teaching, not from the people that did a phenomenal job, but probably from the people that didn't do a great job. You know, I looked at them and thought, "Mm, (laughs) I'm not going to do that one day. You know, I knew that I knew the difference that that behavior they did made that really shut the class down or made mm. us feel stupid or whatever. And I, I realized, you know, that those little things really make a, a difference in a negative way. Um, but, uh, and that's what I try to tell new teachers and new faculty that are just starting out, you know, like at University of Georgia, I tell them, I say, you know, you just be yourself and realize that the students are always watching. You, you know, they can tell when you're not having a good day and uh, but they can tell when you care. And if you care about them, you're going to be successful. And it doesn't necessarily mean you got to make stuff easy. Because I always say students usually don't want it to be a walk in the park. They want to be challenged, you know, mm-hmm. they want to be pushed and driven and get their money's worth, you know, yeah. out of that class or whatever. So I tell them, don't think that uh, being super easy is going to get you these great teacher evaluation scores. You know, that guy's, and I say, you know, I always have this, this phrase I like to be compassionately demanding. <laughs> and I that's like just that. a neat little, you know, it's like push them, show that you care about them, you know, but yeah. push them and tell them if what you're asking them to do is uh is challenging. If you're purposefully being vague about the instruction on, on an assignment, tell them <laughs> that. Tell them, look, I I know this is not very clear and I did that on purpose. I want to see what you can do with this. Yeah. I want to see what your creativity's like. And uh, it's just cool to see that, you know. And, and then they feel like, okay, you know, Dr. Furman told us that he purposefully did this this way. So let's just do the best we can and relax about it and see what happens. And uh, yeah.
3: it's good.
1: <laughs> no, I. That's funny. I, I mean, I agree with pretty much everything you said. I do. Um, oh, cool. <laughs> that, that I. No, I do. Just the the idea of you know challenging your kids. But I like I like how we're combining. I mean. You can be hard because you're a horrible teacher and you just don't like, you know, your students or what you're doing, but you (laughs) can be, but I mean, when you couple it together with like that passion for what you do and you're just like, I'm on this amazing ride, it's going to be hard, but you got to come with me. It's going to be fun. Like that's, that's the kind of ride I want to get on. And I actually brings to mind one of my English props in university. I mean, I worked my butt off for that guy like hard, but because he was such a passionate, he was so passionate about, but what he was doing and he came and he shared it with us and he was nothing like you at all. I mean, if we're talking about being yourself, I mean, he was, he was British and very reserved and just oh, okay. ta- talking about romantic poetry. Yeah. And I mean, I just, <laughs> I, 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 ate it up and it was fantastic. And I mean, Damn. you know, that was, yeah. So, so no, I love that you are, that you're combining those two things. Just like, let's get in there. Let's be passionate, but let's challenge our students to go on this crazy ride. That's,
2: that's going to be hard. Yeah. that's And especially, you know, we talk, I teach students about teaching mm-hmm. and I, I want to get them outside of their comfort zone a little bit because they're going to be up in front of this class of students and they need to know how to think on their feet, you yeah. know, and they need to know how to gracefully say, well, this didn't exactly go like I thought it would. And we're going to pick this up again tomorrow and try it again. I mean, just being upfront with folks and saying just being honest with them. Um, I think that is the, that's the best thing that we can do, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. And being yourself. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, Nick, thank you so much for, for sharing your passion with me. This has been a, a fantastic conversation.
2: Oh, man. Shane, I so appreciate you reaching out. It means the world to me that you, first of all, that you watched that talk. And thank you so much for doing it. And, and just ask me to do this. I just love, and like I say, I love talking about teaching. Mm-hmm. And I love talking to somebody that loves teaching too. So I'm so thrilled that what you're doing and thank you for doing the job that you're doing. We so appreciate it.
1: Well, thank you. And back at you, Nick. I mean, thank you. Uh-huh. Actually thanks. now at the end of our conversation, what do you prefer? Ranger Nick, Dr. Nick, Nick.
2: Oh, I, I, t- I, thanks for asking. <laughs> I, that, most of the students call me Ranger Nick. I, but you know what? It, it's, my name is Nick, you know, so uh-huh. if people call me Nick, but a lot of them will say, wow, well, you know, we're here in the, in the South, you know, wink, wink. So this, my, my parents would kill me if I called you by your first names. I said, well, you call me Ranger Nick instead of Dr. <laughs> Furman. It's, it's, uh, I, I, I have some colleagues that really love the doctor thing. And I mm-hmm. say, you know, it's true, but it's overrated. I don't need that. I, my name's Nick. And so just whatever. So yeah, however you want to Nick is cool. A lot of people, uh, You know, from the TV thing and stuff, they'll see me and they know me as Ranger Nick. So, And that's been since I was a kid. So I'll always answer to that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Well, if people do want to reach out to you, um, how can they do that if they want to know more about what you do?
2: Absolutely. Well, uh, they can on Facebook, you search Ranger Nick on Facebook Mm -hmm. and and I'm out there and uh, I have a website that a colleague of mine built for me not too long ago. It's it's, uh, nickferman.org. Okay. And my last name is F U H R M A N with that mm-hmm. H in there. So N I C K F U H R M A N dot org, and that way. And then, uh, and you can go on to, to uh, Google and search me and my email, and things will come up there at the University of Georgia and reach out to me that way. Excellent. You And know, I'll tell you, Shane, that TED Talk. Uh, it's probably at least once a week. Yeah. I will hear from someone. They'll look me up and find my email look me up and uh, shoot me a note. So I would love to hear from folks if they've been moved by this. Or Mm -hmm. sometimes people ask me, hey, would you come and talk to my group about teaching or inspiring change? And I do that stuff a lot. So anyway, they want to get me, um, my my email is just simply my last name, F-U-H-R-M-A-N at U-G-A for University of Georgia Mm -hmm. dot E-D-U. So Furman at U-G-A dot E-D-U. That'll get me. And uh, I respond right away on stuff and keep in touch. I'm I'm glad you did. Is that how you found me, Shane? You just looked me up?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, sorry, Ted Talk. And so then I figured, okay, yeah. where does he teach? And then I kind of went there and found yeah. your page on the on the university website. So
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. And that's that stuff is uh, that's so appreciated. I'd love to hear from some folks, you know.
1: Excellent. Excellent. Well, I hope you do. That's cool. Well, thanks, okay. man. Well, thank
2: you, Nick. It's been great. It's been right. great. Thank you so much. And uh, I hope to keep in touch with you. Absolutely, for sure. All
1: right, I'll talk to you later. (laughs) Take care. Bye. bye. (laughs) I'd like to get more reading done, and joining a book club seems like a good idea, but I don't know.
2: Why not? Reading
1: a whole book in a month, that's pretty
2: daunting. What if it was just a chapter, say, a week? That doesn't
1: sound too bad. Still, getting together with a bunch of people, that's a whole evening.
2: Well, what if it was only half an hour, whenever you wanted to?
1: That would be great.
0: The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears.
1: Join my wife, Anita,
0: and my husband,
2: Scott, as
1: we take you on a journey through a good book, one one chapter chapter at at a time. time. A proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network.
3: Locally grown.
1: Community supported.
3: Available right now on your podcatcher of choice.